This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Jacob believes God is able to deliver him. But Jacob comes to God with his word. In, in, in verse 9, he says, the Lord which said to me, return to thy country, to thy kindred, I'll deal well with thee. He says in verse 12, and thou saidest, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for multitude. See, Jacob is using the authority of God's word in his prayer. He's saying, you said it, God. So the words of Jehovah Jesus are abiding in Jacob as he prays. And then with Jacob, we see something remarkable that happens in verses 24 through 30 of Genesis 32. Genesis 32, 24 through 30, it says, Jacob was left alone. There wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. The hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint. He wrestled with him. He said, let me go, for the day breaketh. He said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. He said unto him, what's thy name? He said, Jacob. He said, thy name shall no more be called Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. Jacob asked him and said, tell me, I pray thee thy name. He said, wherefore is it thou dost ask after my name? He blessed him there. Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I've seen God face to face. My life is preserved. See, Jacob has done well in the first level of asking prayer. He's been specific, he's been believing, he's used the word of God, and the word of God is abiding in him. He's used the, power, the authority in prayer. God's word is authority in prayer. So up until now, it appears that, it, well, Jacob just wants to be delivered. He's got, the, he's got his, this, this murderous brother that's after him. And it appears that, that Jacob's got all he wants. Deliver me from Esau, and, 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 that's, and I'm, I'm good. You know, Jacob, just deliver me, and I'll go my way, and you go your way, please. But what happens next is it shows us that's not enough for Jacob. That's not enough for Jacob. He knows that God is within his reach and he has reached out his hand. He has grabbed a hold of God and he says, you can kill me, but I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And we look at what Jacob's doing there and we said, we get it. 
Jacob's saying, it isn't enough that God would, we would say, someone would say to Jacob, Jacob, isn't it enough that God just answers your prayer? Leave God alone already. And, and, and Jacob replies back, no, that's not enough. If all I get is deliverance from Esau, I will have lost. Being delivered from Esau is not enough. I want God, I need God, I must have God. I won't let God go until, until I get God. And what we see is a complete change of interests in Jacob. See, in Genesis 32, 9 through 12, Jacob's interests were just deliver me from, from this murderous brother of mine. See, he's in the first level of asking prayer. But now, in verses 24 through 30, Jacob has a new interest. Jacob's wrestling all night with God. Jacob wants God. And so what kind of blessing is Jacob after from God? I mean, it's like we said, isn't it enough he, he, that you know, if God just said, well, Esau's no longer your problem, that's not enough when he says, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. We can't say that Jacob really wanted just to be delivered from Esau because you know what he did? He never mentioned Esau's name. He didn't say, I won't let you go until you deliver Esau from me. He didn't say that. The key interest for Jacob is not any more about the deliverance from Esau. He's got new interest. See, Jacob has a chance now. He has a chance to speak to God. And when he speaks to God, he doesn't say anything about Esau. Jacob wants to know God's name. <laughs> what does that have to do with being delivered from Esau? Nothing, but that's his new interest. He has an intense interest in God. He wants to know God. He's seeking God. He's gone to the second level of prayer. He's seeking God. He's progressed in his intensity in prayer from asking for deliverance to seeking to know God. And in this progression, this is what happens to us. We go from asking God for answers and solutions to the problems to the, in the ask level of prayer to now we wanna know God more intimately. And we, this is the seeking level of prayer. But there's a third level. There's a third level of prayer, and this is the knock level of prayer. I have needs, so I go to the ask level of prayer. And when I come to God for the answers and solutions of the problem, just like with Jacob, I, I, I find it's just not enough for me to get these answers. I go to the next level of intensity there. I've, I'm not satisfied until I get closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. I need to know him more intimately. That's a seek level. But now I go even further to the knock level. See, what's the knock level of prayer? You know, as we've considered, there were many, many pressures on Boaz, the busy businessman, during the most intense time of his business, this harvest time, and a lot of business to occupy his mind. And a lot of, this is a critical time of the year. But when Boaz comes in this most critical time of the year, being this man of prayer, before anything else, he's, he, he, he has prevailed in the art of resistance. He has prevailed in the art of resistance. That's the third level of prayer. Knock level of prayer is the art of resistance in prayer. To see what knocking is, what it represents in the Bible, we look at the, a remarkable picture in Revelation 3.20, which the Lord has given us to consider. In Revelation 3.20, the Lord says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into him, and will sup with them and he with me. That's a remarkable picture. That's just remarkable because it says in Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door. The, the Lord is at the door of the heart. I mean, that's, a, that's incredible. I mean, you know, how many people stand at the door? When the UPS man, somebody, they knock, they don't know anything, it goes away. 
But he said, he said, I'm standing there at the door. That means it's a picture of the, that, that the Lord is not inside the heart. The Lord's outside the heart, and he's at the door. And the Lord is outside the door. Then we see in Revelation 3.20 picture, he's outside the door. He's not just sitting there. He's standing. Behold, I stand at the door. He didn't say, behold, I sit at the door. He said, behold, I stand at the door. And we see he's not just standing there outside the heart. He's knocking. He's going, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I mean, that really is something to behold. It's the Lord. He's on the outside of the heart. He's standing there. He's, he's, he's knocking. And, and, and so we see this. He's not just standing. He's knocking on the door of the heart. And the Lord is then something else he's doing. He's calling. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice. So what's he doing there? He's, 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 he's standing. He's knocking. He's calling. And he's calling an invitation. About, you know, I'm standing at the door. I'm knocking. If any man hear my voice, open the door. I'll come in. And, and, and we'll sup with you. And you with me. So he's calling for the door to be opened. If any man open the door, and as he's calling for the door to be opened, he's making this promise. I promise you, if you open the door, I'll come in, and, and I'll dine with you. I'll dine with you. You'll be the host. Oh, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, come in and sup with him. And then the Lord says, he'll sup or dine with the person who opens the door. Well, let me please come in. You know, if a person's the host. Please come in. Sit down, dine with me. And the Lord's a guest. In the first statement, the first statement, the man is the master of the house. The Lord's a guest. But then the Lord says something remarkable. He reverses the role. When the Lord says, he says, he, he says, I will come to him and will sup with him, and then he with me. So now, all of a, in other words, all of a sudden now, he becomes the master of the house, and the person's the guest in his own house, <laughs> dining in the, with the Lord. But our focus is on the Lord outside and everything that the Lord is doing. He's standing at the door. He keeps standing there outside the door. He's knocking at the door. He keeps knocking at the door. He's calling at the heart. He keeps calling at the heart. He stands, he knocks, he calls, all outside the heart. Why is the Lord standing, knocking, calling outside the heart? Because he wants the person to open the door. He wants the person to let him into his heart. But all this continual standing, knocking, calling shows that there's an intention here with the door, with the Lord. He's persistent in his intention to come in. He cannot come in because there is a door. He cannot come in because there is a door, so he knocks. The knocking represents a barrier to fellowship. The door represents a barrier to fellowship. The third level of knocking in prayer represents the overcoming of the barriers of resistance that stand between us and God. What are these barriers of resistance that stand between us and God? First, there is the barrier of selfish resistance. How does the store of selfish resistance become a barrier to prayer? When the Bible says in John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease, we say, I don't want to decrease. And so that then goes up the door of selfish resistance. When the Bible says in Philippians 2.3, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves, we don't say, I don't want to esteem others better than me. And up goes the door of selfish resistance. And the knock level of prayer is to overcome or knock through or knock down the barrier of selfish resistance. How do we do that? James 4.10. 
Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he'll lift, lift you up. Barrier of selfish resistance. Next, there is a barrier of sinful resistance. How does the door of sinful resistance become a barrier to prayer? Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Isaiah 59, 2. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So how do we knock down this barrier of, uh, uh, of, of sinful resistance? We go to the place of reconciliation. In 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, forgive our sins, done away with. We cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then there's another barrier. There's a barrier, a door of satanic resistance. Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. What are these powers of darkness? What are they they trying to keep us from doing? All these these powers of darkness and and spiritual wickedness? Ephesians 6.18, they're trying to keep us from praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, watching unto you with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. How do we knock down this barrier to prayer here and the satanic resistance? Ephesians 6.13, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. James 4.7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Are these real in our lives? Are these really issues in our lives? In our personal lives, do we really have barriers to prayer, doors, that are barriers of selfish resistance, of sinful resistance, of satanic resistance? Do I really have to go to this third level of knocking perseverance to overcome these barriers of resistance to prayer? Well, let me ask you a question. You ever noticed how easy it is at the end of the day to sit down and watch TV? No problem about doing that. You ever notice how easy it is to pick up a magazine, newspaper, uh, easy book, read and, and read? No problem about doing that. You ever notice how easy it is to pick up the phone and discuss all sorts of subjects, maybe a little gossip a little bit? No problem about doing that. But the moment you try to get down to serious prayer, and I don't mean just reading a prayer list, but you really want to get through to God, somehow we feel incredibly tired, incredibly sleepy. Somehow everything that we had to do during the day but we couldn't remember suddenly comes to perfect memory with, with, with clarity like we can't believe it. Somehow the heavens seem like brass. It all comes down to just wanting to pray. And, and why? Selfish resistance, sinful resistance, satanic resistance. That's the time for the third level of prayer. Knock, knock, knock. Be like the plane at Lindbergh Field that's surrounded like this morning with this heavy marine layer, this morning fog, and what's the plane got to do? Fight, fight, fight. Climb, climb, climb. Up, up, up until it's broken through all that frog, fog and there's just complete sunshine. There's no, there, there's no, there's no clouds above the clouds. <laughs> no problem there. That's the progression of intensity of prayer. Ask, seek, knock. Then the Lord Jesus Christ said, you'll keep this in mind. And we see this in the life of Boaz. He says, but here we see Boaz. He's coming from Bethlehem. He sees his workers and he prays. And, and, and Boaz comes to Ruth and he prays. And Boaz is praying all the time. He's praying, praying, praying. That's an important part of prayer, which is to be faithful 
to continue in prayer, to be faithful to not give up praying. See, the Greek tense in, in Luke 11, 9 is continuous present, which means it really is saying, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. In other words, prayer is not just, as just an exercise for the moment. Prayer is a, it's a commitment to a continual practice of life. It's a commitment to a habit of life, which is what the Lord Jesus Christ said we need to do in Luke 18, one through eight, when he said he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And then he said, there was in a city a certain judge, he feared not God, didn't regard man, there was a widow in that city, she came unto him, avenge me of my adversary. He wouldn't for a while, but afterward he said with himself, though I fear not God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I'll avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. The Lord said, hear what this unjust judge said? Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry unto him day and night, though he bear along with them? I tell you, he will avenge him speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith on the earth? See, here's a parable the Lord Jesus Christ spoke about an unjust judge. And, and he said, you know, and he, and he wouldn't do his job for this widow. And she's about to wear, about, wear him to death. And so he, he says, uh, he finally does. And then he says, but he says, now get the point of this parable, men ought always to pray and not to faint. It's remarkable that he says that at the beginning. And then at the end, he says something, when the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith on the earth? See, he's just told a story about a persistent widow, and, and, and she wouldn't give up. And so he says, and then he says, well, when he comes, is he going to find faith on the earth? Why, why is that? Because the issue of when he returns will be so strong, the barriers to prayer of selfish resistance, sinful resistance, satanic resistance, they'll be so strong, it's going to be rare for him to find somebody praying. See, we see in this parable, he didn't say, well, um, anything about a feeling to pray. He didn't say anything about a mood to pray. He, but he used words, he said the word ought. Ought is a word of responsibility. You're responsible to pray. He says, you have a continual responsibility to pray. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter uh, if you're in the mood. It's your responsibility. Wednesday prayer meetings at churches are no longer prayer meetings. I should put it there. Wednesday meetings at churches, for the most part, they're no longer prayer meetings. They are another midweek service. Why? Because there's no glamour to a prayer meeting. Because there's no excitement in a prayer meeting. Because there's no entertainment in a prayer meeting. Because there are no stirring messages in a prayer meeting. Because there's no outstanding personalities in a prayer meeting. So the midweek prayer meeting at churches have been shelved. But the prayer meeting is part of the responsibility of when he said men ought always to pray. And Boaz with his workers, Ruth, he's praying, he's praying, praying, he's praying without ceasing. He's praying without ceasing because Boaz is in an unbroken fellowship with God. Boaz is praying without ceasing because Boaz is in a state of continual dependence on God. Boaz is praying without ceasing because Boaz is in a constant realization of the presence of God. And when Boaz prays for his employees in verse four, his employees immediately break back in, in prayer to him. They just break out spontaneously in prayer to him. You know the evidence that Boaz was a man of prayer was that at any moment, people around him felt at ease to break out in prayer. And you know the evidence that we are like Boaz is that at any moment, people around us feel at ease to break out in prayer. But when Boaz prayed 
for the Lord, for, for his employees, and prayed for a full reward for Ruth. He really expected God to do that. I mean, this is the expectancy of prayer. You know, what, what the, Matthew brings out with this whole passage here is similar to Luke. He says, what man is there, in Matthew 7, 7 through 11, he says, what man is there among you? If his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? If he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If he asks, he, he, he says, uh, <clears throat> he says if, if he asks a, an egg, is he gonna give him a scorpion? If you've been being evil, know how to good give, give how, how much more your heavenly father. See, what he's showing here is the fatherliness of God and the faithfulness of God. See, if, if it's fatherliness of God unto your children, ye are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. See, John 1.14, we receive him, he gives us power to become the sons of God. A little child looks into his father's face and expects nothing but good. Why? He's his father. The faithfulness of God. God never makes mistakes. Bread, like stones, you know, on the seaside there in Caesarea and over, they have these lime, lime, lime um, coated rock stones. They look like a bread. They could look like a loaf of bread. You see, you think, he's saying, you think God would make a mistake? Looks like a bread. It's not, it's a stone. You know, the serpent, fish versus a serpent, in the Greek, in the Hebrew, this word serpent is also the word that's used for the sea eel or the sea snake, the sea serpent, the sea eel. Looks the same. It's a, you know, a fish, a, a, a sea serpent, an eel. You think God would make a mistake like that? You know, and when he take a scorpion and, 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 and he, he, he brings his, his tail up over and he curls in his claws, he's the same shape as an egg. You think God's going to make a mistake and say, well, oh, I thought it was an egg. You know, he's not going to do that because God is faithful. So the three words of, for Boaz as a man of prayer are intensity, ask, seek, not, intensity, consistency, man ought always to pray, expectancy, the fatherliness and the faithfulness of God. So Boaz shows the intensity, the progression of intensity, and ask, seek, knock. He shows the consistency of prayer. He, he continues to pray. He doesn't stop. He shows the expectancy of prayer. He expects only good answers from his father. And for us to be like him, we need to have those three things in our lives, intensity in prayer, consistency of prayer, and expectancy. You know, to express intensity, James Montgomery called prayer a hidden fire. To express consistency, James Montgomery called prayer a vital breath. To express expectancy, James Montgomery called prayer the, to the one who is the life, the truth, the way, when he wrote, prayer is the sincere soul's desire, the soul's sincere desire uttered or unexpressed, the motion of a hidden fire that trembles in the breast. Prayer is the burden of a sigh, the falling of a tear, the upward glancing of an eye when none but God is near. Prayer is the simplest form of speech that infant's lips can try. Prayer is the sublimest strains that reach the majesty on high. Prayer is the Christian's vital breath, the Christian's native air. His watchword at the gates of death, he enters heaven with prayer. O thou by whom we come to God, the life, the truth, the way, the path of prayer thyself has trod, teach us to pray. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for teaching us to pray and help continue, Lord, to teach us because we're slow learners and there's so much we have to learn. 
but thank you for your patience with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program was brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.